Welcome to Madang. My name is Grace Jisun Kim, the host of Madang Podcast. Today's special guest is Chris Smith. He shares about the Englewood Review of Books, The Body of Christ, Spirituality for the Journey, Prayer, and the Messiness of Life, and his book, How the Body of Christ Talks, and so much more. Please stay tuned. This week's sponsor is Homebrewed Christianity's open online class, Upsetting the Powers, the Legacy of James Cone. Xavier University Professor of Black Theology and student of James Cone, Dr. Adam Clark, is partnering with Homebrewed Christianity in an exploration of the life, thought, and legacy of James Cone, the founder of Black Theology. If Black lives matter to our life as a species and a church, then it is time to listen to the voices who have already been speaking and living this gospel proclamation. In addition to six sessions exploring Cone's most powerful texts, there are six special guest sessions where friends and colleagues of Cone will share personally about his impact. These include scholars like Serene Jones, Kelly Brown Douglas, and Gary Dorian. This group is pay what you can, and you don't have to join live to get the video or audio of each session. To learn more and join over 1,000 others in the group, head to jamescohnwasright.com. The Buddhist Suchi Foundation and Green Faith invites listeners to join us at Living the Change, a global multi-faith initiative journeying with people of faith, spirit, and conscience to change how we live as part of our response to the climate emergency. Through Living the Change, we aim to catalyze rapid and large reductions of personal greenhouse gas emissions of people of faith, spirit, and conscience as part of the collective pursued efforts to stay below the mean global warming temperature of 1.5 degrees Celsius. We focus specifically on changes that have the biggest impact on individual emissions in the heaviest polluting communities, changing how we travel, eat, and power our homes. Living the Change welcomes everyone who wants to walk gently on Earth together, while concentrating especially on people with the highest carbon footprints. To find out more, please visit www.livingthechange.net or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Living the Change. How has God called you to serve? By providing spiritual care or psychotherapy, ministering in a church, or becoming a scholar of theology? Knox College is a Christian theological school at the University of Toronto, Canada, offering master's and doctoral degrees. Knox educates people to think deeply about God, live authentically in Christian faith, and lead courageously in shifting spiritual and social landscapes. You can help create a world where people of faith build vibrant communities of God's love and hope. Which program connects with your interests and calling? Find out today at knox.utoronto.ca. Take classes in person or remotely. Show your support and please order Invisible, available wherever books are sold. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com. This is Madang, an outdoor living room for guests to share their experiences and their work. I invite you to come in and stay for a while. 
Welcome to Madang. I'm so happy that you are joining us today. We have a very nice, wonderful, special guest, Christopher Smith, who is a senior editor of the Englewood Review of Books and the author of several books, including most recently, How the Body of Christ Talks, Recovering the Practice of Conversation in the Church. In addition to writing and editing, Chris works with churches across North America, helping them cultivate a deeper life together in their places. The book that we will discuss today is How the, Bo How the Body of Christ Talks. Reverend Carol Howard Merritt writes, in a world full of talking heads and devoid of attentive ears, Smith's practical book teaches us through poetic metaphors, useful advice, and theological wisdom, how to be present to one another. How the body talks shows us a way of healthy, soulful dialogue. So welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Grace, for having me. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's been a while since we met each other in person, and it's no doubt. great to yeah, it's great to be with you on the Zoom. Thank you so much for being a guest on Madang. So before we get into your very important book, which I have a copy of, uh, "How the Body of Christ Talks," I thought um, you can share a little bit about Englewood Review of Books. It's such an interesting site, and you do lots of exciting things. So tell us how you started it, and what it is about and what you hope to continue to do? Sure. No, those are, those are great questions. Um, so we started the review in 2008 uh, and, and never really intended uh, to uh, start a book review publication, uh, but we had been doing, we had a little bookstore and uh, kind of with the first downturn of the recession in 2007 or so, uh, we lost a significant portion of our income. Uh, uh, with the recession. And so we were kind of scrambling around and somebody had the idea, why don't we pool our email address books um, and uh, put together a list of people that might like to get a book review in their inbox one, once a week. Uh, and uh, we knew we weren't going to make any money doing this, but we just thought, hey, it's kind of a, maybe it'll remind folks that we're, we have a little bookstore. Uh, and um, so that's what it, what it was. We started out as kind of under the radar uh, email list uh, and then within six months, it was really, it took off uh, very rapidly. Uh, even as an email list, folks were saying, hey, add my friend to this list. And it was good timing. It was about the time that a lot of magazines and book, or, or magazines and newspapers were cutting their book review coverage. And there wasn't a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities uh, for people to write book reviews or people to read book reviews. So, um, so anyway, within six months, uh, we kind of launched, launched it onto a website to make it a little bit more accessible than this kind of email list. Um, and then uh, about two years later, also added uh, a quarterly print magazine uh, that we did for about a decade, uh, but kind of just before the pandemic, we were in the process of kind of winding that down. Uh, it just was too uh, too difficult uh, to uh, continue to do a print publication kind of in the, the economy that we find ourselves in uh, right now. So, um, so, uh, so now we're back to kind of being uh, online only uh, publication. And uh, we review a wide range of books, um, uh, not just Christian books, but, but most of our readers are readers of faith, uh, mostly from a fairly wide swath of the Christian uh, traditions. Um, uh, and, but, but like I said, we review a wide range of books, uh, largely uh, nonfiction, 
Uh, but we do, I mean, we love, we love fiction, we love poetry uh, and do uh, try to highlight as much of those uh, sorts of books um, as we can. Um, and yeah, so we've kind of been focused on uh, themes of community, mission, imagination, reconciliation. Uh, those have kind of been the kind of central themes uh, since the beginning. And uh, of course, there's probably uh, lots of things uh, that could fall under at least one of, if not more of those uh, sorts of sorts of broad themes. Uh, but we really, uh, reading has been really important for us as a congregation. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the ways uh, that uh, we have conversations together, but reading is kind of intertwined with, with conversation as well. Um, that uh, reading gives us gives us things to talk about, uh, or helps us, or, or books, books and articles and so forth are, are uh, tools of sorts um, that um, give us uh, uh, something to talk about in our conversations. So yeah, that's so great. That's a, I'm yeah, I love Englewood Review of Books, and I'm like, my new book Invisible is coming out, so I'm like, I can't wait to read the review on Englewood <laughs> because it's so interesting. Yep. Because you don't always get a scholar to review; it's like you get different people, lay people, your own church, and etc. And those are more interesting to me. And sure. I actually love your list of books you do once in a while. I remember a few, few years back, you did uh, Is God Too White? And um, diversify your reading. I think that is so important, especially when it comes from white people like, like yourself, to, to remind everybody to diversify because we people of color say it all the time. So we need sure. help with um, you know alliances and those in solidarity with us. So I'm always appreciative of that. You know, is diversify your reading. You know, is God too white? And I made a few of those lists, which I felt so honored to be on the list because <laughs> I find if I'm on any list, I just like okay, that just made my day and made my week. So feel free to continue to put me on any of your list, must read books or whatever list that you're making out, because it's not just the reviews that I find interesting. And I love the journal because I think I contributed a piece and I'm sad that it's not being in print anymore because of the pandemic. But, you know, there's other things that you can possibly do. But I, I really appreciate how much you yourself are reading and your whole team is reading because as you mentioned it's such a diverse reading it's not just christian books spiritual books and non-fiction and fiction books that you incorporate so i'm like wow that is a bunch of readers <laughs> that's what you must be doing in all of your spare time so but the rest of us appreciate the result and the fruit of your works it's it's an incredible website it's an incredible list you have a huge following on twitter and social media so i think that's wonderful and i know i cut you off so continue oh yeah well thank you thank you very much i, I one thing that i would add is that i mean we're very intentionally we're not an academic uh, journal we're, we're oriented um, probably we'd say our primary audience is church leaders, uh, not necessarily clergy, but uh, kind of church leaders broadly construed, including lay leaders as well as, um, uh, and we, as, as we'll probably get into eventually, I mean, we think uh, we care a lot about churches. Uh, we think that's uh, a very important uh, part of the work that God is doing in creation. Um, and uh, we see this kind of as a as a way to uh, to to serve uh, churches, to put uh, good, thoughtful uh, books uh, in front of 
of, of those leaders. Um, and hopefully uh, some, of, some of the books themselves, or at least some of the ideas from the books uh, will kind of filter down to uh, throughout uh, the, those congregations more broadly. Yeah, and I, I'm so thankful because when I first started writing, you know, Invisible is my 20th book, but I started wow. writing for the <laughs> I started writing for the Academy. But as I did, I thought it's such a narrow audience. So more and my more and more of my books are for the church. So that's why I appreciate the work that you're doing and putting forth the the books that the churches need to read. And for those listeners who have never read or heard of Englewood Review of Books, please Google and find your, find out who they are and follow them on social media, on Twitter too, because you tweet a lot all day long <laughs> uh, uh, and informing us what what books are what books are going to be released, what we need to read, and you know, the different reviews. So I'm just grateful for your ministry because it is a I don't know of any other kind of sites that are comparable to yours that really reaches the church. So I think it's excellent. Any other thoughts that you wanted to share? I think you were doing a podcast and I'm not sure if yeah, that's we are, still going. We are still doing oh, a podcast. Okay. We're about, we do um, maybe about, we're in our second year of that okay. um, uh-huh. and doing about uh, 20, 20, 20, 25 episodes a year. Um, you are? I've yeah. never been yeah. on that one. <laughs> I will have to get you on. Uh, that's uh, I am making a note of that right now. Um, uh, I didn't but, know. Yeah. That's why I wasn't I wasn't sure. It's a little bit different. Going. Uh-huh. Um, so instead of I mean, there's lots of folks, uh, lots of great folks that are doing great podcasts uh, that are kind of interviews. Um, but we're mm-hmm. we tend to be a more a panel uh, sort of uh, podcast. So I usually have several people on um, to just to have a good conversation together, and also kind of. I mean, certainly we we do uh, try to get authors to talk about new books they have out, but oftentimes some of it from the angle, less talking about exactly what's in the book, um, but maybe talking about uh, some of the some of the books that they've been reading as they're writing and some of the things that have shaped um, shaped uh, the way that they're thinking and the way that they're they're writing that kind of comes out in in the books uh, that that they publish. Uh, so. So yeah, we'd love to we'd love to have you on and um but yeah, definitely check that out. I'm not forcing um, you. It's up to you. Oh no. But what, no. Is the, <laughs> what is the name of the podcast so the listeners uh, can Englewood follow? Review of Books uh podcast. Uh, you can find oh, it in okay. the, the Apple Store or wherever else um uh-huh. you prefer to listen to your podcasts. Uh, but yeah, Englewood oh, okay. Review of Books podcast. Um, okay, that's great. Because I didn't know it was still on. That's a lot of guests that you had. So <laughs> this is wonderful. I'm glad that I, I asked the question because I thought maybe you'd stop doing the podcast. Nope, but that's nope, wonderful. So subscribe to Madang and subscribe to Englewood Review <laughs> Books podcast. Yes. That's excellent. Oh. <laughs> and I look forward to being a guest one day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's a good way to kind of move into your book because the Englewood Review of Books is for the church and um, those who are interested in spirituality and people of faith. Actually, so many uh, people during the pandemic are not going to church or have withdrawn from the church. So for anyone who is interested in, in reading books and new books and looking at new lists of books to read and and um, how to diversify your reading, I would highly encourage you to follow Englewood Review of Books. It's an excellent site. And that leads to this book, um, the, How the Body of Christ Talks, because the body of Christ you are referring to here is the church. And I thought later on, maybe we'll move it on to another uh, arena. But I find it a very interesting book because 
so many of us are not able to communicate, to talk properly, to discuss and hold a conversation. So before we get into the book, how did you begin thinking about writing this book? Yeah, this is a book that's probably been kind of percolating, so to speak, in my head for a decade or more. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's kind of a book that I've wanted to write for a really long time, but kind of had some opportunities to write a few other books uh, and then eventually kind of come back uh, to write this a few years ago. And then it came out uh, pretty much just before the pandemic, um, just in 2019. Um, so, but uh, Englewood Christian Church, uh, the church that I'm a part of here on the Near East Side of Indianapolis, uh, we have a practice of conversation, uh, kind of an intentional uh, Christian practice of conversation that every, every Sunday uh, after our worship service time, we get together and have, have a conversation together. Uh, and that's, that's really become, we have that intentional space, um, but then kind of conversation because of our intentionality in practicing conversation, kind of conversation has started to bubble up in a lot of other places uh, kind of throughout our life together. And it really has become kind of a way of life for us as a congregation. Um, and so uh, to, I've, I've written about that in a lot of different articles and in some of the other books I've done, but I've never really kind of, this is kind of the first time that I really kind of devoted myself to uh, kind of a deeper sort of theological and practical expo explanation or exploration of, um, of conversation as a spiritual practice uh, in the Christian tradition, particularly a kind of social, uh, social and spiritual practice, uh, uh, kind of uh, like worship, uh, for instance, is a, uh, a social and spiritual practice uh, in the Christian tradition or in other, other faith traditions as well. Um, but um, but, but to, to try to understand uh, conversation in that way uh, was kind of my, my aim of this book. And, and to, to also expand a little bit uh, more, uh, certainly this is something that we do here at Englewood, but there's other churches that are exploring intentional practices of conversation um, as, a, as a result of uh, their uh, faith commitments. Uh, and so I wanted to tell some of their, their stories too, and not just kind of uh, focus, focus on our own experience, but also kind of uh, tell the story of some other congregations that are also kind of uh, uh, on the journey of conversation. Yeah, I thought, you know, you use the language of spirituality for the journey, prayerful way of being, which was really convicting to me because I never thought of like conversation in that way. I just thought it's just a way to just communicate, but it is you you bring this sense of spirituality in it. So can you share more with our listeners so that they will actually want to go read more from your book? How, well, how are we to understand this as, you know, prayerful way of being and spirituality sure. for the journey? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, we didn't, when we started our practice of, of conversation here at Englewood, we had no idea what we we're getting into. It kind of actually started uh, on Sunday evenings, uh, kind of as a uh, a replacement for our Sunday evening worship service. Uh, kind of in the 1990s, a lot of churches were kind of getting rid of their Sunday evening services. And we realized that we probably needed to do that too, but we didn't want to give up being together. Uh, so somebody had the idea, why don't we start just having a time of conversation together? And and it was a, it was a huge mess. And uh, some people left the church as a result of it. And it was just very volatile because we didn't know what we were doing. And, um, but uh, so we didn't really kind of start this uh, with a lot of intentionality or a lot of kind of uh, 
theological uh, sort of thought behind what we're doing. But but over the years, kind of, it's been probably close to 25 years now that we've been having this practice of the Sunday practice of Sunday conversation together. Um, we've learned a few things and uh, realized that um, perhaps the spirit is at work uh, in uh, in this practice conversation. I think that's the one of the nature, one of the important uh, things of conversation for us is that um, that conversation is a way of discernment. Um, we're not, we very intentionally said in Englewood that our, our conversation time isn't a decision-making time. We're not gonna make a decision here, but, but it's certainly the sort of reflections that we have in our conversation certainly has a bearing on a lot of a wide variety of sorts of decisions that we make in other contexts. Uh, and, um, and so conversation really, uh, you talk about uh, conversation as a prayerful way of being, or you ask about that. Uh, and uh, I mean, fundamentally, uh, God wants to be in relationship with humanity and uh, kind of, the, I mean, look at the story in Genesis of the creation of humanity um, in the garden and the, the, the sort of relationship that God had with Adam and Eve was it was a conversational relationship. And that's the sort of relationship that God, uh, we believe at least God desires uh, for humanity. And, um, but, but also uh, that's, it's very easy in our sort of Western uh, situation that we find ourselves in, uh, in this sort of time to, to very, to individualize that, um, but also uh, to realize kind of looking, especially at the, the Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures and the, the sort of social uh, nature between God and the people of God uh, and uh, to, to try to imagine uh, what does that look like today? Uh, so, so even while I'm talking to you here, uh, the Holy Spirit is present with us uh, and, um, uh, and uh, to be attentive to the ways in which we talk with one another um, particularly uh, within our local congregations, but when we talk to one another, that, that the spirit is present with us and how do we speak to one another uh, in ways that, uh, that reflects uh, the presence of the spirit with us, uh, both the presence of the spirit as God, <laughs> God with us uh, and shaping the ways that we talk to each other. Maybe if God is, if we're mindful of the fact that God is with us, uh, we might be, not be so quick to uh, to blow up and rage uh, with one another, though we may want to uh, often, um, but but also the fact that the Holy Spirit we believe is leading us. The Holy Spirit uh, is uh, the the guiding presence of God with us, uh, and we we're trying to trying to make sense of um, how God is leading us, um, and so uh, so conversation uh, in some ways is is an act. I believe an act of prayer um, that we are. Um, speaking, speaking with God uh, and uh, with a mindfulness to God's presence with us, as, even as we are uh, talking with those that are gathered um, in our in our conversation. Yeah. So, you know, you do, you do talk about, you know, prayer as a means of being attentive to God. You mentioned the messiness of life and how you were doing it. It was messy. And so when you were talking about prayer that way, you know, it includes the Quaker practices of silence and listening prayer. Sure. I'm a USA. I've always been a my whole life and 
since I became a Christian, um, but I am teaching homeschool in Quaker school. So I find it very interesting how you make that connection. Um, okay. I find it very interesting how you make that connection. So do you want to say more about how you understand prayer? You talked about the spirit of God and the spirit's presence with us. So prayer and communication and how, you know, you connect the messiness of our life and how there is messiness even in our conversation. So if you can just say a little bit more for all of us um, so we can really engage with your book. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, that uh, certainly uh, you're absolutely right about the the influence of uh, the Quaker tradition uh, on uh, this book particularly, but there's lots of other ways that kind of my uh, my personal uh, sort of history has been uh, influenced um, by uh, the Quaker tradition and uh, certainly kind of ethnically uh, kind of uh, have a strong, strong roots uh, in the Anabaptist tradition, uh, which of course uh, is uh, also uh, uh, very intimately uh, connected with the Quaker tradition uh, and uh, both kind of being uh, historic peace churches. Uh, and, um, but anyway, but that's just a little bit of the background, but yes, about the messiness uh, in particular. And I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways that we could come at this, uh, certainly, um, one of the ways that I, I talk about that in the book is um, kind of the sort of almost idolatry that we have of certainty uh, in, in, in the West uh, in the 20th, 20th and 21st centuries and maybe even before that, but um, this sort of uh, desire for certainty and how, how elusive uh, that is uh, just kind of epistemologically uh, the, ways, the ways that we know and uh, so forth. Um, and uh, but what, so, so, so that's, we want that to be neat. We want that to be, uh, we want to have certainty. And, and I understand that. And I, I want that. And I want the sort of stability that comes with, with certainty. But, but oftentimes we're not afforded that luxury. Uh, there's, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of gray areas. In fact, perhaps mostly gray areas where we kind of live within kind of dialectical tensions uh, of, of, of virtues, uh, kind of on on both both sorts of poles, um, and and kind of having to live somewhere in the middle of those uh, sorts of things. And conversation uh, for us, we've learned at Englewood, uh, and I encourage uh, readers of the book with this, is that conversation uh, helps us learn to live live within those tensions. To be able, as we're listening to uh, to our brothers and sisters over time. Uh, we, I mean, we come to know them. And in fact, I, I say in the book that that's one of the kind of best fruits uh, of, of the practice of conversation uh, is that we're kind of cultivating uh, trust and cultivating uh, what some have called relational equity. Um, I don't actually, that's actually a term that I've kind of come to more, more recently uh, than, than uh, writing the book. But I was like, oh, that really uh, fits with the sort of kind of trust and knowledge of one another um, that, that we found uh, is what happens as you stay in conversation over long periods of time. Uh, you, you find out that, um, I mean, maybe there's some conversations that you're not ready to have yet, uh, just by, by knowing the people in the room and kind of 
as you uh, come to know and trust one another, uh, you become more adept at kind of knowing how to frame a conversation and uh, knowing um, uh, where people are coming into a conversation from. Uh, and again, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, we all have histories and baggage um, that we bring into conversation. We don't kind of magically set, set that aside. Um, so so that, that all contributes to the messiness of it and, and intentionally practicing conversation, having a space uh, where you, uh, even, even when it does get messy and uh, you, uh, you persist in that, uh, it really helps to, uh, in general, uh, certainly my experience, I'm a lot more comfortable with ambiguity, uh, with, uh, with this messiness uh, after kind of, well, our intentional practice of conversation, but all the other sorts of conversations we have around uh, our church. Um, after kind of continuing and practicing conversation uh, in, in that context, I'm a lot more comfortable. And I, I hope that will be the same, but true for, for others as well uh, in other churches and I think other that's, places. Yeah. And I don't know if you read um, Intersectional Theology that I co-wrote oh, with I did. Susan Shaw. Yeah, yeah and that what we talked Oh, thank <laughs> you. I have to go back and see the review. I didn't know it was reviewed. Uh, it but might have been in the print we... magazine. Okay, well, you got to we send it to that, me yeah. later and <laughs> yep. people can go online and read it. But there I do talk about the messiness of life. We talked about that and that theology is messy. So what you're saying is so true. Sure. We should and I think... be comfortable in the messiness because yeah, I think, no, I think sometimes, that was a... yeah. That was the reason that I really resonated with that book uh, was uh, because I think I reviewed it not too long after I had finished writing uh, this book. And uh, oh. yeah, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that uh, we need to uh, be attentive to intersectionality and um, the, the, the many different things that come together. And uh, I mean, when you have a conversation with multiple people, the, the, the histories and uh, and everything and the gifts uh, that they all bring into the conversation to be a, the the conversation will go better uh, the more that you're able to be attentive to to all of those sorts of dynamics and that and that's something that certainly we've learned in practicing conversation and I think it's uh, something that others can learn uh, through the practice of conversation is how do how do we be attentive to to especially the people that are in the room uh, but also the the dynamics that those people bring with them their kind of uh, ideological uh, commitments uh, preferences etc yeah and then you talk about you know to, to prepare for the conversation prepare our hearts mind and body for the conversation and then um in in the beginning near the beginning you also talk about trinity is bound sure. together in diversity and i just thought that was very interesting because i never thought of it in those terms. So can you share with us what you exactly mean by uh, Trinity is bound together and diversity? Sure, yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of my uh, way of articulating kind of what I understand. Uh, again, uh, the Trinity is something that's difficult to understand. It's something that uh, theologians have wrestled with um, for, yeah. for basically, uh, the last uh, all of Christianity. Years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so I don't, I don't make have any pretension of thinking I have it all figured out. But the way that I articulated uh, some of what I've learned from that reading, that kind of long history of wrestling with the nature of the Trinity, um, is that uh, 
that's, I mean, sometimes it's just God is, is a conversation. Uh, God, God is one, but God is also uh, these three uh, diverse, distinct uh, persons. Um, and I, I think for me, uh, and kind of one of the keywords uh, in the book's title is, is body. I think for me, uh, my, my human body uh, is, is an image, a metaphor, a helpful metaphor, I think, of, uh, of the nature, or not the nature, but, but of who God is, of uh, the ontology of, of God, um, that, uh, that it's, it's one body, but there's many, many diverse parts of, I mean, of course, that's uh, basically uh, just uh, articulating the Apostle Paul there, um, but um, but I think we know a lot more about kind of how our bodies work than the Apostle Paul did. And I think, uh, and I think that uh, his, his kind of uh, intuitions about that uh, hold true, uh, even, even now that we know significantly more scientifically about kind of how our bodies work. Um, and I think that's a helpful uh, image uh, for us as the church that really kind of preserves um, the deep uh, the deep importance of, of the person uh, that, uh, that we're not kind of all the same, uh, uh, that our body has lots of different, very different uh, parts that function in different ways and need uh, different things and contribute uh, to the body as a whole uh, in different ways. Um, but, but yet all of those parts are integrated together and they function best or maybe only function at all because of their integration with the other parts of the body. Um, a finger by itself, if you cut off your finger, it's not gonna function very well without all the sorts of, of nerves and muscles and bones uh, that connect it uh, to, to the rest of the body. Um, and so, so I think that's, that's an image uh, for the nature of God, but I think it's also an image of what God, the sort of life, uh, abundant life, a super abundant life that God intends for humanity and for creation uh, is to to be mindful of the ways that that God's creation is is an inter interconnected whole, and we were not created to live as autonomous individuals as we've kind of imagined ourselves to be over the course of Western history, the last four or five hundred years or so. Um, but that we are uh, created to be part of an inter interconnected whole. And, and conversation, I think, is the way that we start to discover uh, the ways that we were um, made, made and interconnected uh, with, um, with those most immediately close to us, but then kind of beyond that uh, to, uh, to other people and other places and other times even um, uh, through kind of all the sorts of histories that have uh, shaped uh, us as people kind of, I'm fascinated by epigenetics uh, and the ways in which kind of our, our histories and our traumas are kind of uh, woven into, into our bodies. Um, and, and we all bring that with us when we come to conversation again, that's part of the messiness. Um, but uh, but uh, to, to be attentive to that and to realize as we we're talking together uh, that those uh, those ancestors and those histories are present uh, with us uh, in, in our bodies. And maybe we're not even fully aware of, of, of those dynamics, um, yeah. but, uh, but they're there. And, and as mm -hmm. you were saying earlier, uh, we, we do best. Uh, uh, we, we talk and interact and live most, most faithfully when we are 
uh, attentive to the sort of intersectionality uh, uh, that happens uh, when we uh, uh, when we converse together uh, with with others, yeah. particularly others so of much. faith, but that ex yeah. expands outward. Uh, again, I kind of talk about in the book uh, about how, in some senses, it's we're learning to learning to have conversations uh, as a church, but but that practice of conversation kind of flows outward into our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, uh, our extended families, um, that hopefully we will be, uh, as we practice conversation intentionally in our local congregations, uh, that helps us uh, to uh, be, be more skillful and more attentive, uh, I would say, uh, to the ways that we have conversations. And certainly, as we all know, uh, some of those uh, situations, perhaps, uh, for some of us, uh, extended family uh, situations, it's very difficult uh, to have uh, have conversations in these in these times. Uh, and I think that uh, local churches that undertake practices of conversation intentionally together um, can um, help uh, their members uh, navigate uh, better navigate uh, some of these other contexts uh, where it's very difficult uh, to have conversations uh, because of the the times and the the social dynamics uh, that we find ourselves in these days. Yeah, well, that was a question I was going to ask you, that this is very highly, um, you know, church-centered and how we need to have conversations that are dynamic and, and understanding our body, etc. So it was very applicable to the church, but you just answered because my question was, <laughs> how can we can we use your book for other spheres sure, of our society? Sure. Because particularly, you know, so many divorces are happening, parent and child not communicating, even friends broken. And then during the time of Trump, my goodness, so much disaster in our way of sure. communication. So yes, that is your answer, right? Because you yeah, are, yeah. yeah, you, yeah I yeah. think that, uh -huh. so although I frame the book kind of theologically within the Christian tradition, I mean, I think, I think I, what I'm presenting is the, the the practical side of it could apply in many different contexts, uh, mm -hmm. faith, uh, faith communities of other traditions, um, uh, or workplaces. Or I mean, I really do believe that conversation is fundamental to what it means to be human, <laughs> and I think uh, I, that, like anything, uh, like learning to walk, uh, for instance. Um, that that we, we we do it best with with practice, and it takes practice to learn to do it well. Um, yes. And so so while some of the theology of this is kind of oriented uh, toward uh, toward uh, those that find themselves in the Christian traditions, um, uh, the the practical side of it I think has a much broader scope. Uh, and I hope uh, that uh, that folks outside and certainly we've had we've played a role as a church, we've played a role in neighborhood conversations uh, here. And uh, we've seen the value of, of neighbors uh, talking to, to one another. And there's been hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that have been done across our neighborhood uh, because our neighbors uh, have a fairly long history, a decade or more, or probably going on two decades now of, of talking together and envisioning together kind of what is the future that we want uh, for our neighborhood, uh, kind of an urban, urban neighborhood that might be viewed by some as kind of a impoverished place. Um, but, but because neighbors are uh, talking together and imagining together um, 
there's a lot of work that has gotten done. And, and I think that's a good, a good sort of example of kind of how uh, conversation more broadly is also a really important uh, for us just to, to be humans. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and so, to be yeah. most full, fully human. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Christopher, uh, for being a guest on Madang. Your book is so interesting. And even though it came out a couple of years ago, I think it's so relevant today, uh, especially after Trump and how we need to kind of relearn how to uh converse with one another, understanding the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, you give a whole thing about what the body is, and this conversation, and you give plenty of examples from your own church and from other places. So I'm grateful for this book. So for our listeners, I hope you get a copy how the body of Christ talks. Um, and the subtitle is recovering the practice of conversation in the church, a lot of practical um, ideas and so many things that you can use, especially for those churches that are kind of breaking apart, uh, falling apart, maybe particularly during the pandemic, I would highly suggest that you use this book um, in a Bible study or in a group study, or for yourself, if you're leading a church too, of how the church can speak better, being better conversation, be prayerful and think of it as a spiritual journey. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Chris, for being a guest on Madame. Thanks for having me, Chris. This week's sponsor is Homebrewed Christianity's open online class, Upsetting the Powers, the legacy of James Cone. Xavier University professor of Black theology and student of James Cone, Dr. Adam Clark, is partnering with Homebrewed Christianity in an exploration of the life, thought, and legacy of James Cone, the founder of Black theology. If Black lives matter to our life as a species and a church, then it is time to listen to the voices who have already been speaking and living this gospel proclamation. In addition to six sessions exploring Cone's most powerful texts, there are six special guest sessions where friends and colleagues of Cone will share personally about his impact. These include scholars like Serene Jones, Kelly Brown Douglas, and Gary Dorian. This group is pay what you can, and you don't have to join live to get the video or audio of each session. To learn more and join over 1,000 others in the group, head to jamesconewasright.com. The Buddhist Suchi Foundation and Green Faith invites listeners to join us at Living the Change, a global multi-faith initiative journeying with people of faith, spirit, and conscience to change how we live as part of our response to the climate emergency. Through Living the Change, we aim to catalyze rapid and large reductions of personal greenhouse gas emissions of people of faith, spirit, and conscience as part of the collective pursued efforts to stay below the mean global warming temperature of 1.5 degrees Celsius. We focus specifically on changes that have the biggest impact on individual emissions in the heaviest polluting communities, changing how we travel, eat, and power our homes. Living the Change welcomes everyone who wants to walk gently on Earth together, while concentrating especially on people with the highest carbon footprints. To find out more, please visit www.livingthechange.net or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Living the Change. How has God called you to serve? 
by providing spiritual care or psychotherapy, ministering in a church, or becoming a scholar of theology. Knox College is a Christian theological school at the University of Toronto, Canada, offering master's and doctoral degrees. Knox educates people to think deeply about God, live authentically in Christian faith, and lead courageously in shifting spiritual and social landscapes. You can help create a world where people of faith build vibrant communities of God's love and hope. Which program connects with your interests and calling? Find out today at knox.utoronto.ca. Take classes in person or remotely.